welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? One of these days I'm going to get, because I hit, I hit record and then I point to you when it's, when it's ready, um, but obviously, like, there's always like a little space in, in the recording when I go, and I, I always have to snip off the, the front when, mm-hmm. I, when, I, when I edit the episodes. Um, you know, you used to edit the episodes for years yeah. um, before I started doing it. Um, one of these days I really want to try to like point to you maybe just before I click or just as I'm clicking and just try and see if I can get That's a perfect too much. one. It's too much. You, it's like, uh, what is it, patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time? I could do that. Which a number of people can do, by the way. Yeah, okay, well Yeah, I'm done. doing it. Yeah. I just had to make sure I could do it. Yeah, it's really easy. Oh, once again, I wish this were a vis- <laughs> uh, video podcast. But uh, yeah, That makes one of you. Fair enough. Well, hey, once this, once this space, once my, uh, my office really becomes you got BP headquarters. Up. Yeah, I finally got my other DVD shelf up, so that wall is done. And as you can see, plenty of room to, uh, to fill in. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I got some of our BP Live posters uh, framed. Those are going to go up on the yeah, wall. This is a nice little office we got in here. Yeah. Uh, it's Never gonna, not funny. It ain't got shit on us. It's, yeah, it's going to be worth it to our guests to make the extended drive now. Well, let's not go crazy. Well, I, last week I found a. Again, I'm not saying where you live, but I found a nice way to get o- over the hill to this part of there the valley. Are, yeah. Uh, yeah. There uh, are a lot that, of options that I didn't know about. All right. Moving uh, on. So that's how I am. Uh, <laughs> how are you? Fine. Okay. Uh, wasn't there something you wanted to talk about? <laughs> hmm. I f- you know what? I, nothing's coming to mind. All right, let's get into no, it. No, all right. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, did we want to do tweaked first or, uh, or oh, I was going to wait until okay. after the, after, right. uh, I guess, uh, the you know what? Thing. I've been gone so long, I forgot the order of this, of this stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, I wanted to to mention this uh, last week, but we just it, the the episode was quite full, so we didn't get the chance. But uh, during my uh, hiatus, I was able to go to LACMA in Los Angeles. Uh, I want to make sure. Okay, Los Angeles County. Co- oh, I thought it was contemporary because I thought it was that. How about you talk? Since okay. I didn't go to this thing, I'm going to have zero input. Fair enough. So okay. you talk. And I'll look up what it means. Yeah. But anyway, so it's a museum that has art. And uh, for the last couple months, and I think for I think until the end of this month, maybe even into June, um, they, uh, they are having the Stanley Kubrick exhibit, which is uh, pretty amazing. You go in, and it's just all kinds of things. Like, it depends on... Actually, it doesn't... What I mean to say is it doesn't matter how deep you are into film. Uh, mm-hmm. chances are you've seen The Shining, at the very least. Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Okay, so it's the Museum of All Art. I guess I, I just thought it was contemporary for some reason. But, um, you know, you've likely seen The Shining. You've probably seen Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, maybe Eyes Wide Shut. Like, um, oh, I've seen all of those. Yeah, oh, well, I, you know, I'm not throwing out Doctor Strange Love or The Killing or Paths of Glory or anything, you know. Any of that sort of Barry I've seen Lyndon. all those. Oh, yeah, I'm no, not you talk- said one I hadn't. I know, I haven't seen Barry Lyndon either. But um, and that's the thing. I'm not talking about you, David. You're different. You're, you, you keep know. saying you. I mean the the <laughs> royal you. Um, and so I I say you instead of you guys because I'm I'm a grown man. <laughs> and so, uh, so y- you. Now I am saying you. 
All right, now you've. Oh, now, now you're I'm me? in. Yeah, now I'm in my head. Okay, because you are an asshole. <laughs> so that that time, I'm talking to the audience. So I went to. Uh, so like you go in, and you'll probably have seen some of the films. Mm. Maybe you've seen all of his filmography. I haven't. I haven't seen Killer's Kiss. I haven't seen Barry Lyndon or Lolita actually. And so you've seen. Fear and Desire? Oh, no. That's the one I always forget, obviously. Yeah. But uh, I think the earliest one I saw was, was The Killing. It sounds like you and I have seen the exact same... Uh, Did you see Lolita? Films. No. Oh, wow. All right. David, this, <laughs> this thing writes itself. Let's stop recording, well, watch all those, and then we'll I think we'll I decided I wanted to read Lolita first, and as we talked about last week, I don't read books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's fun. It's fun talking about all the things we're going to read. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, so for like hardcore, like film lovers who are really into production, there are scripts with like Kubrick's notes. Mm-hmm. There are memos back and forth uh, with the the studio and that sort of thing. And then I would say for kind of I would venture to say Planet Hollywood types, and I don't say that. Negatively, because I probably fall more in that camp than the memos were fascinating. But like when it comes to like notes on on the script, I'm like, oh yeah, all right. Like it's yeah. not that it it's not that it's not interesting. It's that once I look at it and I read the notes, like oh yeah, that's really you know. Uh-huh. It's I don't mean to say it's boring. Like a friend of the show, Jason Eakin went and he loved it. He said he could have spent ten hours reading all those notes. And so, um, but anyway, so for the the Planet Hollywood, like the people that enjoy like props, for example. Uh-huh. Uh, this thing is a freaking treasure trove and it's going to sound very strange, but like when you walk in, okay, for, for people like, like you and I, for whom film is this life changing thing and has been for a number of years, Mm -hmm. you walk in, it's, it's, I know it sounds silly to just talk about props. You walk in and you're face to face with the star child, Uh the actual prop with the little robotic and it, and the head is open so that you can see the robotics inside that made its eyes move. Uh-huh. Uh, you see a mask of a gorilla. You see some of the masks from Eyes Wide Shut. You yeah. see Private Joker's glasses along with his helmet. You see uh, the dresses worn by the uh, the two do- uh, the two sisters yeah, in The yeah. Shining. You see, like yeah, I've seen some of this because apparently everyone I follow on Instagram has been to this exhibit <laughs> since it opened. Yeah. so I've seen a lot of these pictures, and it's just. You know, you see some of the props from the, uh, what is it, Moloko Milk Bar. Oh, sure, yeah. So, it sounds weird, but, like, I remember when I went to the uh, Chicago Art Museum, um, and I would go to, and I would stand in front of, like, obviously all of these paintings are original, and they're all amazing, but when I would stand in front of the paintings that I myself, for years, felt a connection with, like Edward Hopper's Nighthawks, for example, mm-hmm. and almost any Edward Hopper, honestly, um, you stand there, and this is going to sound really maybe cheesy. You stand there, and you realize this is it. This is the one. Yeah, like, yeah. It, oh, I know. You almost feel like if I were to reach out and touch it, admittedly, I would get tackled by security. Yeah, but can't do that. for a brief moment, it's like I'm touching the thing that this person touched. It mm-hmm. is like a weird little time capsule. And when you look at the the you know the ape head, or you know a, uh, I'm trying to think of like all the other oh, the uh, the emergency kit. From Doctor Strangelove, <laughs> with all with the chewing gum and the tiny little Bible slash Russian phrase book, like, and you and you're like, this is, 
this is it. Right. Like it, it feels so weird to feel this connection. It's like I'm occupying the same space as this thing that for a long time was purely abstract. It only existed in this rectangle, whether it's on my TV or on a movie screen. It only existed there, and now here I am with that thing. I know it sounds very strange, but I, I that is what got me more than anything else, and that's much to my surprise. Yeah, I wouldn't have, but that, yeah, that does, because it, it reminds me, of, as someone who hasn't been to this exhibit or been to a lot of, like, Hollywood memorabilia-type things, but the opposite, maybe, is that um, when you see a movie and it is they shot on location somewhere at a place that you know well. Oh, yeah. That that feeling is uh, yeah. actually just, um, uh, this isn't a, a movie, but um, the finale of The Amazing Race, they were at Mount Vernon outside of D.C., mm-hmm. a place that I've been and was at, like, visited as a kid, like, with my family, and there's, like, Phil standing there, and I was like, I remember that exact like hill and remember that they were selling like at the gift shop you could buy those weird like rolling the hoop with a stick game that yeah. kids used to play and i remember yeah. this is like mid 90s so there's all these kids in like mid 90s clothes running up and down that hill <laughs> that they're standing on at the end of amazing race and it was a really weird surreal experience it wasn't as emotionally effective as maybe seeing something from a movie that i have like no. an emotional tie to but it was a memory from childhood it just it just got me thinking about like, you know, I this this summer I'm going to be going to uh, Switzerland where they uh, they went to the you know on the Amazing Race this season and it was fun to see like oh hey neat <laughs> um, and uh, you know and, and I've never I've never been to Europe before I'm very excited to go especially because I remember that Eddie Izzard joke uh, I am from Europe where the history comes from <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. When people talk he also about talks about being in Florida, where the tour guide was saying this house has been restored to the way it looked over fifty years ago. <laughs> Surely not. There weren't people back then. <laughs> but, but yeah. And so, like the uh, Eddie Izzard's been on Hannibal uh, past past really? couple episodes. Yeah, neat. Does he play like a, a noted character, or just is uh, he like he, from the novel or something? I don't know. I haven't read the novel, but he basically plays. I don't want to give away how it turns out to people because by the time this airs, the second episode will only have been out for a few days. So, I won't turn it. but he basically he's a uh, guy who killed his wife, who's in the mental institution that mm-hmm. will eventually be the mental institution that you very much recognize from Silence oh, of the Lambs. Okay, uh, they went to great lengths to recreate the way it looks in Silence of the Lambs, really? which is really cool. That's cool. Uh, and basically, he he kills a nurse in the way of a serial killer who hasn't been active since he went to prison and hmm. so uh basically people everyone is thinking oh this guy that used to be active like now we've caught this serial killer but will and maybe even hannibal think different fascinating but, uh, i gotta get back into this show it's really yeah it's really good um but like the reason that i that i brought up europe is that like you know, people talk about, and I don't agree, but people talk about how there really is not a lot of American culture. I, there are subcultures. There's like jazz culture, and there's you know stuff like. I mean, New Orleans is a world of, mm-hmm. of its own. So, but like America in general, it it encapsulates so much space, but also so many different time periods. Like, you know, California. Like, what is Los Angeles culture, and how old is it? Not mm-hmm. that old, strictly speaking. Certainly not as old as say New England culture. And that sort of thing. And so, like, when it comes to American culture, 
I remember for for a long time when I was younger, I used to think like, well, there there is no American culture; it doesn't exist. And it's like, no, this is our culture. Like movies, among other things, that is the culture. Certainly, the culture that I grew up in, and like, and the culture that, by the way, sh- shapes world culture as well. Right at the moment. At the moment. What do you mean? Are you suggesting the movies are on the decline? I'm just suggesting that America might be. Oh yeah, fair enough. But you know what? I, we're our movie industry is doing fine. Yeah, um, and we also gave the world rock and roll, jazz, hip hop. Damn right. Yeah, that will be our legacy in uh, a few years when we're no longer owned uh, by China. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and so like, so that's the thing is to. I don't necessarily. I wouldn't go as far as say that I think movies are the best art form. It's. I don't think there's one that is better than the others. But like, it is a very dominant art form right now, and America sort of leads the way in a, in a, in a lot of ways, like historically and just as far as money makers uh, worldwide. But also, like, it's just interesting, like, to connect with that part of history. You know, because I was mm-hmm. and I was. It also helps that I saw Room 237 shortly before oh, going right. to the yeah, exhibit yeah. because to hear one guy talk about how he did not like movies and then he saw 2001. Yeah, yeah. And then is like, I want to make movies. <laughs> like, that's, that's the power that these types of movies can have. And then yeah. when you're standing there and you're not looking at the official monolith, but uh-huh. you're looking at, like, I don't remember what the name of the artist, but there's an artist who, who uh, specialized in, like, rectangles and these monolithic uh-huh. things and and uh it is widely acknowledged that kubrick was inspired by that and so one of those is sort of like on display and it's just uh i've I've gone on too long but it's fascinating so if you live in los angeles and you haven't gone yet take the opportunity to do so it'll be I, it's it's great i want to ask you one question about i don't know if this is something you learn uh in the exhibit the past f- few times i've seen the shining i've really noticed that when uh, Shelley Duvall finds the manuscript that just says "All work mm-hmm. and no play makes Jack a little boy." It's not just one page. It's not uniform. Like yeah, he there's does it typos, ways, and then yeah. sometimes there's like, oh, this paragraph's indented, or or like it 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 changes the the shape. And my first thought was like, I feel awful for who whatever PA had to do that. But then my second thought is, especially after watching two thir- room two thirty seven, and like really thinking about how precise. Kubrick was. I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. Yeah, I don't know if he uh, did or not. I wondered if if that was answered in the exhibit. But the typewriter was on display along with Shelley Duvall's knife. Well, which typewriter? What? Remember? It yeah, changes colors somehow. I know. I don't Is remember it the brown one. one or the green one. Green one. But yeah, so it's uh, yeah. I don't remember. And frankly, maybe it's maybe it's uh, in there somewhere. I didn't. I was there with other people, so and we had somewhere to be. So we were really only there for like. Ninety minutes. Okay, and uh, there is one. Um, Kubrick worked with a, the same DP a lot, and I do not, do not remember his name off the top of my head. Neither do I. But there's an interesting uh, memo from the DP to Kubrick, and I think I think it was uh, for The Shining, where he says he, basically the Steadicam has just been created, uh-huh. and he says. I just discovered this thing uh-huh. and it is terrific. And he explains how it works and all that. And it's just, and it's that kind of thing. Like it, this thing comes along and revolutionizes yeah. 
the way uh, films are shot, and he just found it, and they use it a lot in The Shining. Yeah, and so like I well, don't know because The Shining was in pre-production for so long mm-hmm. because that that was because the Steadicam was in Rocky, which is okay, yeah. like five years before The Shining. Rocky seventy-five, six. And the then first the Shining... Rocky is seventy six. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because it beat out uh, a lot of much more cynical films. I remember that. But didn't it do so in the the seventy six Oscars, which were four seventy five? Uh, I don't think it 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 beat out Network and all the President's Men and Taxi Driver, all seventy six okay. movies, yeah, those and are another one. Okay, you're right. And then I get you know what I I always feel like The Shining was made like firmly in the 70s but it wasn't it was 1980 right yeah yeah so yeah you're right it's it's like four years after so but yeah and so and and who knows like i don't know when i don't remember what the date is so that could be years before like the you know they actually got into it but it's it's fun to read it because it's clearly like oh my gosh it's so exciting now do they have in this exhibit (laughs) that thing museums have sometimes you can rent headphones and they uh walk you through it no you know what they should do? What's that? They should get someone who's an expert on Stanley Kubrick, someone like you or me, okay, to record uh, a, an audio guide, and then we should hook them up with the people at tweakedaudio.com. There you go. Get some tweaked audio headbu- earbuds, mm-hmm. uh, professional quality earbuds um, in a variety of styles and colors. Get those in there to the LACMA Museum. That, that rich, full quality. Yeah. That, Especially that our- timber. Especially our voices. Oh yeah. Oh. Can you imagine? Here's what oh. I here's what I want in this situation. I want the museum to commission us, you and I, not uh-huh. separately, together, uh-huh. to do something for the Stanley Kubrick exhibit, <laughs> and people can put it on. But you and I demand final cut, and we don't cut anything. So like, th- it'll be like now this. Reminds me of something as Eddie Izzard once said, and then we like the person's like, "What the hell does this have to do with Barry Lyndon?" And just like, "We'll get back to it." Oh man, that's uh, that's funny. Um, do you listen to Jeff Garland's podcast? I don't. I bet it's loud and delightful. He had Michael Moore on as a guest, yeah. and I still think it's, it's that's a, a big show. It's a very funny episode, and I guess Michael Moore did a pilot for a Fox, like uh, essentially like a talk, like a late night talk show in the in like ninety six or something like that hmm. and he got as a guest this was in like 96 oj simpson brought him out on a guest in front of a live studio audience spent five minutes asking about football <laughs> you know just when i hate michael moore and i do every once in a while he'll pull out this little gem of genius yeah and that is it like oh <laughs> Man, that's like that's right up there with like uh, the day the clown cried. Like, you just, <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to see that more than anything. Yeah. I want to see that more yeah. than like my future children. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, tweakedaudio.com has uh, great head. Uh, ear, ear, I want to keep wanting to say headbuds for some reason, but they have because the sound fills your whole head. It's like yes. your head turns into an arena, but one that sounds good, not like a shitty one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like you go see like a big band. I don't know how many arena concerts you've been to. They don't sound that great. You know, I like a, I like an auditorium. Okay, yeah, it's built for that sort of thing. Anyway, um, so it basically 
tweakedaudio.com earbuds turn your head into an auditorium. You can listen to movies or TV shows. You can listen to yeah. bands from... You can listen to Nico Case. What are some other bands besides Nico Case? That's the main you one, You know what? Right? I'm dra- yeah, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> um, and and by the you- way, Bruce, they'll turn your head into an auditorium. That's for free. Okay. You can you can use that, buddy. Um, and uh, so that's that's the boilerplate right there, tweakedaudio.com. You go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get all that at one-third off with free shipping. There we go. Yeah, we love them. We love them over there at tweakedaudio.com, uh, and you guys should love them too. Let's get into it, shall we? Uh, you might have noticed, if you've looked at your MP3 player, uh, the name of the title or the number of this episode is uh, episode 320, uh, which is, um, well, for one thing, it's just gobsmacking that we've done 320 of these plus bonus episodes. Wow, exactly 320 hours. That's really something. <laughs> That's really amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's that, was that Malcolm Gladwell thing of like you have to do something for 10,000 hours before you're an expert at it? I figure we'll get there on episode 450. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so, uh, uh, you know what, now that I do the math, we're probably, probably going to get, no, we're not going to get to 10,000 before that. I'm joking. Um, it's episode 320. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of this episode ends in a zero and yet is not divisible by 50. Right, yes. And so therefore, it is, we are by duty bound to profile the career of a filmmaker or, Mm -hmm. you know, someone involved in films. And, uh, you know, when we first started doing this, we had a rule that the, the... when we did these profiles, the, the director had to be... Well, first off, we did them every five, which is insane. Um, and we, we had a rule that the uh, director or, or filmmaker had to be either uh, dead or retired. Right. Uh, we've abandoned that. We've done... We've abandoned a lot in the <laughs> 320 episodes yeah. we've done. Dignity, first and foremost. It was the first thing to go. Pilar Talk. <laughs> I want to do Pilar Talk again. Do. I knew I was running the risk by saying uh, it. I'm going to see her this weekend. Maybe I should do it again. Well, but okay. Send your questions. Send your relationship or sex advice questions to David at BattleshipRetention dot com, uh, and we'll see if we can do another episode of Pilar Talk. <laughs> um, which, for those uh, you know, we haven't done it so long. I have new listeners. Uh, Pilar Talk is um, well. It's a pun on the phrase pil- pillow talk. Mm-hmm. It's where. Um, you guys write relationship or sex advice questions. I ask them of Pilar Alessandra, host of On the Page, mm-hmm. the On the Page podcast, and then we put it up as a mini episode. And we do this not because Pilar is some sort of expert in sex or relationship uh, issues, certainly not because Pilar wants to do it, but just because not I... Not really because you want to do no, it. No, it's but because you feel... I like the strained pun so much. Yeah. That I want to make it a thing. And I, for, I forgot about that. Yeah, Pilar Talk. Send your questions to david at com. Do not CC Tyler. He does not care. I don't. <laughs> yes. But uh, we're doing a profile. Uh, we've abandoned some stuff, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. Uh, we, we've talked. I think the thing that's going to be interesting about this episode is that one thing we've talked about before is that... Um, Someone can be an auteur and still 
not make movies that we like. Mm, yes, they can that's be true. consistently bad by our yeah. standards in their own voice. Yeah, uh, the, there can be noted brilliance in some of the dumbest movies you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, or uh, just a consistency of vision. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so I think we usually, when we talk about this, Michael Bay comes up. Yeah. Um, but he had a bigger filmography and didn't, ha- and a lot of stuff that I am not interested in watching. Yeah, I really, and, and the auteur cast, they just, they've been covering they him. Did, so yeah, like the auteur cast did Michael yeah. Bay. And, uh, but like, I mean, those, there's three of those Transformers movies so far and they're each like three hours long. Yeah. I'm not, I and can't al- do it. And also, okay, this is probably a bad attitude to have and I'm sorry everybody that I have it. Um, I don't give a shit about Michael Bay anymore. <laughs> like, I re- like, you, you know, you're, not, you're not at all interested by Pain and Gain? I am interested because of what people have been saying about yeah. it. Um, and he, there's no question he's an auteur, but I don't even have the energy, I don't even care enough to make fun of him the way I used to or the way people still do. Like, I just don't have the en- I just don't give a shit. Uh-huh. I care about Pain and Gain and it sounds like that was kind of a uh, a passion project for him and that's exciting to me the idea that he has any passion yeah and so like i don't know it's uh but th- but today's filmmaker that we're going to be profiling i'm i care very much about i don't think i like him very much but, but you're I, always interested I'm always interested so um uh, michael bay we just talked michael bay just had a movie coming out this director has a movie coming out mm-hmm. uh I don't know the release date. This summer? I don't, I don't know. know. We'll we'll have to find out next week. <laughs> yeah, if we can uh, get Josh in. Um, and that movie is Man of Steel, mm-hmm. and that director is Zack Snyder. Yes. Um, someone that I have certainly not... I, I mean, I feel like I've said... Uh, I was going to say I feel like I've said as many nice things about him as not nice things, but that's not true. I've said much more not nice things about him because yes. I don't like most of his movies. Yeah. Um, I met him once. Did which you? is which I is to say he story. said uh he said a quick hello we there was no introductions but uh I used to uh work for the company that did that did the pre-production on all of his films. That's right. And I so that. uh I worked there while they were doing Watchmen. You mean when you say pre-production they did the pre-visualization I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm the... sorry post-production on oh, the DVD special I, I features see. pardon me. I see. Um yeah post, post-production sorry about that. Um <clears throat> and previous guest from years back, Eric Matthews, yeah, who nice guy. it can now be said was my boss uh, at the time and was a good enough sport as a boss to come in and do my dumb podcast. Uh-huh. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so he actually directed uh, the straight-to-DVD Under the Hood mockumentary. And so that was – that, which I enjoy quite a bit. And so, um, so I regularly had to make a lot of uh, – runs to uh warner brothers and while i was there dropping something off there's Zack snyder and uh and the person that i had to have sign this was talking to him and mm-hmm. so i said hey i need to and he goes hey how you doing buddy i was like i'm doing well and i didn't Did, immediately know who he was i was gonna say i don't i wouldn't I, I couldn't pick Zack Snyder out of a lineup. I don't know what he looks like. Uh, I think I realized. I think I realized while I was still in the room, but certainly not immediately. I just thought he was an executive when I walked up. But then I was. Then I realized, like, oh, oh, hey, he's a nice guy. Good for him. <laughs> good for him. So good for him indeed. Um, 
Well, let's just, uh, again, let's get into it. Um, let's talk about Dawn of the Dead 2004, which I saw uh, in the movie theater when it mm-hmm. came out um, and really, really enjoyed. And yes. I still really, really enjoy it. I think, I think more all, than you. Yeah, I think we all liked it more than we expected to. Like, all of us just assumed, like, all right, here we go. They remade a, we- a very well-respected uh horror film with strong elements of satire and social commentary mm-hmm. and she's like here we go this is going to shed any social commentary which i think it probably did um and it's just going to be just a cash grab i don't know that i agree with you that it shed it it's been a while since i've seen it but like compa- compared to i just mean like it was overt very overt in in george romero's film as it always is um, whereas this one, I think it's a little bit more, I, I think I saw some of the, some of the calculations that went into, uh, certain elements of the film. This didn't keep me from liking the film. Uh, yeah. didn't keep me from liking the film, but I remember the first thing I thought was like, Hey, they got a much larger cast. I bet I know why that is. It's to kill. It's <laughs> right, cause yeah. you know, they have That's to kill true. more people off. And but so I like, think, you know, whereas, um, I think it's essentially the same point that it makes, uh, but Romero's film has um, the zombies uh, mindlessly stumbling around the mall as mm-hmm. a way of like recreating mindless, you know, consumerism. Right, right. Although it and, does, it does also like. I mean, the way that the that the people living in the mall, the people living in the mall, mm-hmm. like the way they treat owning this mall. And everything in it, like it, it does. It at times it's kind of fun to watch, and you're able to kind of be like, "Wow, what must it be like to have a whole mall to yourself and everything in it?" Uh-huh. Um, but it and, also makes them kind of ugly at times. And that I, that I think is still there in Zack Snyder's version, or at least I should say in James Gunn's script. Um, yeah, I don't think that I'm not going to say that Zack Snyder has nothing to say. But I don't think that he is, has that sort of um, socio-political stance. I think that yeah. when 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 Zack Snyder has something to say, um, it's more uh, its origins are maybe a little deeper in the id. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just like yeah, yeah. Society's come and go, but what about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's maybe like more that. primal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is fine with me, but. Uh, um, Do you think, you know, I, I don't want to spend the whole episode comparing Zack Snyder to Michael Bay, um, but, you know, when you watch Bad Boys or The Rock, you see the beginnings of what would become Michael Bay's style, but it's much more uh, tethered and grounded. Yes. Um, I'm not sure when you last watched Dawn of the Dead. Um, I might have seen it more recently than It's you. been a sure. while, but... Knowing having and I haven't seen Legends of the Guardians, of the Owls of Gahul, but uh-huh. I've seen you know his other big movies, and I know enough that like <coughs> I feel like Dawn of the Dead is kind of an outlier uh, visually, like comp- like everything seems grounded in reality, practical. There's not a lot of fantastical elements uh, to it. I think uh, edit as far as the editing mm-hmm. and that yes. that fits. And I think there's a there's a look to it that he would uh, play with that I have a hard time describing what it is. But uh, I mean, at times people look a little more uh, 
palette and it's a little more contrasty, um, yeah. you know, and maybe there's the, uh, uh, it, it's, it's just a little more of a saturated, but still grainy look. It's not, it's not saturated in the way of being brilliant the way that like a Baz Luhrmann film right. is. Um, but the colors sort of announce themselves. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, um, a, a film directed by Larry Cohen called The Ambulance, starring uh, Eric Roberts, which is like this sort of, um, it, it's it's a really cool movie, um, kind of, I mean, pretty corny, but uh, there's this like ambulance that is responding to 911 calls before the real ambulance gets there, and then they're kidnapping people and taking them to this abandoned hospital and performing like medical experiments on them. <laughs> But it's got this like that's a pretty that's a pretty good premise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's but this look is this sort of like gritty like eighties neo noir yeah. uh, look. But then you get whenever the ambulance the like the ambulance its doors open, it's this sickly bright green fluorescent light that pours out into these like nighttime city streets. Huh. Anyway, that's the kind of that 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 sickliness, uh, but still brightness is what I think of when I think of um, his his look in. In Dawn of the Dead, uh, I, I think it has a look on all. It has a look its own. It, it doesn't necessarily look like his other films, yeah. but it's distinct. And I'll say this: that he, uh, you know, and I, in the same way that you don't want to keep comparing him to Michael Bay, I don't want to keep comparing this film to the the mm-hmm. original film. But um, I feel like you can't help but do so. And I kind um, of don't. I like I. They're very I, separate I, entities. I'm pr- I'm pretty able to separate them. Um. But what I will say is that, like, you know, Romero with his slow-moving zombies and his, you know, small cast, like, there are a lot of moments that are quiet, and in that quiet, he finds dread. Mm-hmm. You would not expect, with the fast-moving zombies, mm-hmm. with sequences that are just as much action as they are horror, mm-hmm. and with a large cast of expendable people, you would not expect to find a lot of creeping dread you would expect there to be jump scares and and that sort of thing but when i think about that movie i think of just and this goes to a lot of the visual style that you're talking about i think of just this this creeping dread but also just hopelessness this feeling just like hey all right we got this place it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and and there's a and i think some of that might be in the script as well because it's james gunn and he's good at that kind of he's thing but like you know the, no, you're, james the, gunn's from st louis i've heard that <laughs> What about the Sklar brothers? Where are they from? <laughs> anyway, but like um, the whole thing with the guy across the mm-hmm. across the street on his roof and the way they are talking with each yeah. other back and forth, yeah. like that whole thing, it's it's kind of funny at times. Um, it's kind of, but it's mostly sad, and you just realize like this is this is where these people are going to die. There's no question about it. It might be today, it might be in a year, but right. this is where this is their tomb. And yeah, it feels yeah. like that. And it doesn't it's matter true. how how action-packed the sequences can be. Like, somehow you almost welcome them because, like, it, it breaks the tension. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it is a really well... I think it's, I think it's easily my favorite of his, of his films. Oh, I would... Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. Um, and I think it does, he does something... Uh, uh, again, with, like... Uh, well, he's got the awesome opening titles sequence, which he... Which, uh, is, yeah. is a fan of because he does that in in uh, Watchmen as well. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I think 
one thing he does differently in Dawn of the Dead that he certainly doesn't do in, in Watchmen is that... Okay, so a lot of the, I think, newer, slicker action films, I have this urge to throw Kick-Ass in there, but I haven't seen it, but I've seen scenes of the action. Okay. To where it's so stylized that um, it loses, loses some of its impact. Do you know, like, its gut impact? Yeah. Um, I don't know if Kick-Ass is a good example of that. But um, um, but just, like, the way the camera is, is moving and... It, and and where it's placed uh, takes a little bit of the reality out of it. Well, that's certainly true. And, and and Kickass is a good example because the idea is like, what if there were real life superheroes? This is not the film to explore that. <laughs> that, that that's the impression I've gotten from the like fight scenes that I've seen. But I haven't seen the whole movie, so I can't really. And we'll it. hold off um, and touch on that again with Watchmen. But go on. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Watchmen yeah. is the exact opposite of this. Whereas here, even though he does uh, find some. Um, stylistic stuff especially at the beginning uh it only serves the it serves the 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 sort of queasiness of what's happening at the beginning the way that he uses the overhead shot like obviously going into the opening credits there's that big pull back from the earth as you see that like you just keep seeing like oh this is like not you know limited to Sarah Polly's neighborhood or street. Yeah. Like this is going on and he like a semi plows through a, uh, a car and like it just yeah. explosion. Uh, but even before that, the scene, um, it's one of the most, cause you talked about it being a blend, blend of horror and action. One of the most horror scenes that still like frightens me is her husband dying and then coming back as a, as a zombie and chasing yeah. her. Oh. And there's a shot of her, like trying to get away from her husband and she, runs into the bathroom and the camera is tracking it's like a god's eye point of view bird's eye point of view the camera is tracking along as she runs in the bathroom and then she hits the shower curtain grabs it and falls into the bathroom with like the shower out on it's a like brutal stunt and um it's an it's an amazing it's an amazing shot that uh that actually using that breaking that uh barrier of it obviously being a set because you couldn't move like that in the house uh he's able to do that without Without losing the reality. Uh, and, it, and again, I'll use the word the queasiness because it's a it, very upsetting sequence. Very much so. It's, it, yeah, like it's, it makes you very uneasy. And I, I feel like the movie, while good, does not live up to that. That is the best sequence of the film. The opening? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would agree. But, uh, it, well, it has another thing that is, uh, we can spoil yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Um, but when. The zombies are attacking the car, and the guy accidentally kills the woman next to him with the chainsaw. Yeah, that's that sticks with me. Like that's a part. Like I've seen the movie now, so mm-hmm. if I watch it now, I feel okay looking away when I know that's coming because yeah. it upsets me so much. Uh, and I think, and that, that's the thing is, with that film, I feel like most of the deaths, um, you respond like, "Oh my god!" Like it's you have that. Uh, it's a guttural. Like yeah. it is a physical reaction because you feel like, "Oh, that's that's horrible." And I again, I, I, I don't want to sound like I don't want this episode to be like let's make fun of Zack Snyder or let's talk shit about Zack Snyder. But right. I do feel like the a lot of the reason you feel that is because of James Gunn's script. Yeah, uh, I, I think the way that he, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the actor now who is the uh, neighbor dad from Honey I Shrunk the Kids who's in Donald Matt Dead. Frewer. Matt Frewer, yes. Um, that's a great character, and he's like mm-hmm. when I rewatched it again. It wasn't that recent, 
but um he was like i remember him like in my memory coming in and like being a part of the cast for like the second half of the movie but he's he's in the, he's got like two big scenes yeah and, and his character has gone. an interesting arc as well yeah yeah but um, um and that was uh it's it's really great what yeah. james gunn was able to do and it's great but, that Zack snyder was able to facilitate that exactly because that's the thing alan moore is also a good writer <laughs> But those action sequences feel insulated. Uh, you know, I mean, you get, I mean, people get the shit kicked out of them in Watchmen, and there's maybe only one or two moments where I myself felt anything about them. But we'll get to yeah. that in a second. Well, so, should we, so let's we can wrap up Dawn of the Dead. We spent right. I think but that's, it's just it's so fascinating that that's where his career started, and then he dropped a lot of the style of it, or like. It, not a lot, but just like that is a film that I feel like is rooted in reality. There's it, that's not to say there is no style. There is a lot of style, visually, mm-hmm. editorially, um, but compared to Three Hundred, like yeah. you, like honestly, if you were to show me those two movies, I would not say it was the same guy. That's true. That's true. You know, yeah. and and he and he went down that path and just kind of abandoned that first film in a way, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't know why. Because he's uh, never done better. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you're right, but I think that that uh, I, you say you don't know why, but I mean he certainly, for better or worse, found his voice in 300. Uh, I mean the yeah, the, the that's style the best, of 300. That's the way to phrase that. Um, you know the way that it uh, is even more divorced from reality, and the way that it's uh, um, color timed. You know that's mm-hmm. like. Obviously, a lot of that is green screen, but even apart from that, just the way that bodies look and stuff in that yeah. movie is clearly not done in camera. It's uh, done after the fact. Um, and then this is also where he... I'm trying to remember if there's any of it in Dawn of the Dead. The, uh, I guess what's referred to as the speed ramping thing, where the um, it goes from normal to slow or to fast to nor- motion within the shot which is something that 300 does a ton yeah and that I, he will continue to do for the rest of his i mean i think he toyed with that during some of the zombie attacks not necessarily this not the go not the slowing down but like the the amping up and making everything somehow adding a herky-jerky nature to them mm-hmm. by maybe removing some frames and, and speeding it up uh yeah but yeah certainly not to the extent that but, you know there's things you know like someone will swing a sword at someone and in 300 and it will yeah. suddenly go into super slow motion and then when it cuts the guy it's super fast again and then yeah. the blood flies in slow motion or something like that like uh um it's not a bad choice i think there's a place for it well and i, and I think... don't necessarily think that uh 300 isn't the place for it i think watchman isn't the place for it we keep talking about right. watchman we'll get there uh well that... because that should have in many ways watchman watchman should have been like it should have been the zodiac of his career, uh-huh. and it wasn't. Yeah, but yeah. we'll get. We'll, but that's the thing. Three hundred, and I think we're into three hundred now, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it makes sense why he would do it for three hundred. Three hundred is based on a comic book, and there are scenes of violence right, in, right. In, in a comic book where you know the swinging of a sword, not the connection, is given its own its own uh-huh. frame. Yeah, and so like it's like. And that is kind of the comic book equivalent of slowing it down so that you really focus in on that. And so I wouldn't be surprised. I've not read the the comic 300, but I'd be interested in reading it as I'm watching the movie and seeing like, and I would not be surprised at all if 
when the moments when it does slow down if there is not a lot of page space given to that moment a moment that really doesn't take any longer than any other moment but story wise it's more important so they give it more time um yeah I, but what what i want to say is basically that this the visual style of 300 is not really my problem with it um, yeah yeah I mean, some of it i find rather unpleasant to look at um i don't like uh i don't like the um the sort of deformed uh spartan guy um that and, but that's not because of necessarily how he looks but more like how he's used yeah there's um, a lot of the i have a lot of problems thematically with the film but i wonder how much of that is frank miller that's that's what i'm gonna say what my real problem with the film is is that you know uh we we talked just a few minutes ago um about how Zack snyder is maybe like the the themes that uh inspire him or propel him to make movies do not aren't aren't political or or really social whereas i think and and i I think the problem with 300 is that it is a movie that has a lot of political themes Mm -hmm. uh, or a story i should say that has a lot of political themes and he is not considering them when he puts it on on the screen you know there's a lot of ways to take um 300 as as being uh you know especially coming out during the uh during the iraq war and uh and it you know being about uh patriotism and fighting in the middle east you know there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can read into it and Mm -hmm. it almost seems like he went out of his way not to consider that but he didn't also he, he also didn't make any attempt to hide it it's just there and he does not comment on it at all and not in the and way th- that like okay. he's intentionally not commenting on it it's 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 a part of his film that he didn't consider i think is is what it is because i think you can consider a theme and then intentionally not comment on it but i think it's there in the film and yet he spent no time thinking about how he was going to th- think about it or how he's going to deal with it i i'm of the opinion and by the way like having watched sucker punch recently to prepare for this uh that has not necessarily changed the way i view 300 but it has thrown it into sharp relief Uh um excuse me but uh because i think he is somebody because it's possible i don't know the story it's possible he might have been brought in to do 300 it might be that he wanted to do 300 very mm-hmm. much and either way there's stuff in it he responds to maybe he knows why maybe he doesn't um but i think he is fascinated by masculinity and femininity but more specifically like male and female what it means to be that culturally but also genetically uh are we limited by those things is, are there advantages to being a man are there advantages to being a woman are we limited by these things like it's and, and I, I'm glad you, watch, I you think look at these two movies next to each other, and it's like, and I'm not totally sure where I fall on it, but it's like, huh? Now those are some interesting companion films: Three Hundred and Sucker That's Punch. That's really, I mean, because I 100% agree with you, and yet I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it like that. But yeah, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. But the problem is, the difference is that um, Sucker Punch came completely from him yeah whereas he's dealing with someone else's material that means something to frank miller uh and so that's 
that's the problem. That's why I think yeah. Sucker Punch is a. Uh, I wouldn't say it's good, but I think it's ten times better than three hundred. Yeah, well, we'll get to Sucker Punch in a moment, um, but um, yeah, but, and it's. It, I I think he is probably aware of the things that he. I don't know. I is he aware of the politics? I understand that he, that you can make a case that he's aware of um, the uh, what's what I'm looking for. The homoeroticism. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he's blind to that. No. Um, I think he's maybe doing that on purpose. Um, so if you look at things um, like uh, in, in, in music, both heavy metal and uh, and hip-hop, especially, especially you know certain heavy metal from the 80s and uh, certain, uh, certain strains of hip-hop have a lot of homoeroticism in them a lot of them are you know the people in the band or the rapper like appearing shirtless and oily or sweaty on the cover you know um and uh of course you know uh anyway there's all sorts of threats in certain hip-hop about you know uh who's going to perform fellatio on whom um and so i i don't want to keep discounting Zack snyder's intelligence um but i wonder if um that kind of macho-ness that goes into homoeroticism because i think those things are tied together mm-hmm. uh is uh, appealing to him um you know uh re- wrestling both you know professional wrestling has a lot of the same oh, yeah. same stuff something that is there's a certain a uh, subset of male geek culture that really responds to these things um and and, and it's something that I, I feel like i'm at a loss for words right now because i don't necessarily know i've never really understood why actually um uh you know why young straight boys are so interested in things that are so clearly homoerotic homoerotic here's the thing don't be wrong i agree with you um but actually i'm not totally sure if i agree with you like admittedly two guys in little uh spandex things grappling around on the on the ground fair enough (laughs) um but like you know the idea of like machismo and like like sports and again i understand none of it personally um it's really not like it really in many ways it was only a matter of time before he arrived at superheroes because this is going to sound strange so my day job allows me to listen to a lot of things and i was listening to a very interesting though not particularly uh, articulate uh youtube video in which this guy uh profiles lesser known comic book villains mm-hmm. yeah that's that's what i do mm-hmm. and uh he was commenting on the blob do you know who the Blob is? No. Okay, the Blob is a very fat villain for the uh, of the X Men. Okay? okay, and his his mutant ability is that he can like change his center of gravity and become basically immovable. And uh, <clears throat> but like, and also he's he can manipulate like his fat so that like he can get like punched and it doesn't do anything and all that. And so it's and he's he's tr- the character's like really like egotistical and overconfident he's kind of he kind of is bullyish because no one loves him okay 
stay tuned. <laughs> and so this guy talked about uh, – he goes through, like, the history of the blob because we all – you know, I grew up knowing who the blob was from video games and, and the comic book itself. Um, but this guy goes through like the history of the character and that he actually did find this one guy who was like a friend who had like superpowers. And this guy basically had the ability to like create this force field that no one could could, uh, you know, penetrate. But he couldn't he, he didn't have any control over it. So like he would often go hungry. But the blob could actually penetrate it, and it wouldn't hurt him, and so he would feed his friend. So anyway, that's 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 a tangent. But you know, when the guy made a point to say that, like when people talk about the great villains, or or like they'll never talk about the blob. The blob was in the third issue of X Men, mm-hmm. and he was like a a formidable villain for them, and he has popped up in movies in whatever. He keeps showing up, and yet no one would ever say. Oh, you know who I love is the Blob. They mm-hmm. would say Magneto. They'd say Sabretooth. They'd say maybe Juggernaut. Like, as I'm, st- I'm sticking with X Men here. Um, and he said, you know, he goes because there's a lot of projecting. Like the audience, the the readers, they feel. Uh, I'm not. I don't mean to. It's probably different now, mm-hmm. but you know, there is a certain stereotype mm-hmm. for of comic book readers, and they go into this to sort of escape from their lives that might be good or bad, but you know, they, they probably kind of live something of a solitary existence. And so if they're going to escape, they're not going to escape into the, into the body of a big fat guy. They might be fat themselves. Like they would much rather be the big rippling guy. It is a wish fulfillment thing as well. Mm -hmm. And so he, so I thought it was very fascinating. It's just like, no one would ever say in the same way. It's like, who's your favorite Batman villain? Very few people will say the penguin, um, right? Just because guess, like there, there's a runty, pathetic quality to him, and so I think, I think with like wrestling, I think there's a homoeroticism to, to yeah. That's things. where it comes like, in. Like I understand, uh, I understand that. I guess if they if they are um, if they have a, a a body type or a personality that is um, un, unpopular socially, mm-hmm. they might want one that is more, I guess, quote unquote, ideal. Mm-hmm. But th- then. Uh, why are they, if they're projecting themselves, why do they want to just be around other men like that? Why, oh, why, why they, isn't the projection of like, okay, I look like this, and then I'm surrounded by beautiful women who uh, love me? Or if well, because here's the thing: if I were to, uh, I'm just coming up with this, okay. So it's not totally developed, okay. But for the same reason that and I'm sorry for if this sounds uh, sexist. 12 Angry Men works better than 12 Angry Jurors. Glengarry Glen Ross works well because it's men. Because there is, I think, an inherent competition between men. And it's not merely, and there's a huge aspect to this in 300. Okay. That it's not merely the adoring women. That's part of it, certainly with the, the what's his name, Leonidas character. But, like, <clears throat> that's part of it. The other part is they adore me because I defeated this this guy over here. I see. Like there's a competition element, and if you're looking into the the wish fulfillment and and the projection, you want to be someone who can beat other people. Okay, you know? so, so I think so, there's an element to so that as well. If I'm projecting myself into, um, I'm sorry, what's Jared Butler's character's name? Leonidas, I think. Leonidas. Okay, then in my projection, the um. The other people around me that are the other men mm-hmm. are not 
all my friends that got to come with me, they're they're the people who are mean to me at school that now respect me because I can beat them up. Probably yes. Like it's like it, there is. It's like we are all brothers in arms. But it's worth noting, I'm the best one. Uh-huh. So I think there's, and he doesn't necessarily fight with them a lot, but um, but I right. think I think when it comes to like wrestling and and that kind of thing, I think there's an element of. Of I am and and if you want to look at it like from let's say like the Avengers like the comic book the Avengers it's like then yeah Captain America was the leader but there there are kids that probably wanted to be Hulk or Iron Man or whatever but then it's just like okay we're all equal no one is better than I am and uh-huh. we are fighting as a team and incidentally I'm finally accepted like there's an I belong you know there's a place for me and so don't get me wrong I'm not buying into certain aspects of three hundred. But I think there's a lot there, and I think... So do you think... I think it's possible that there's, whether it's originated with Frank Miller or with Zack Snyder, there's a heightening of that, where it's not merely... It's like, six-pack, not enough. Eight-pack. <laughs> like, these have to be the most ridiculous version of this. Can we get a little more into speculative biography here? Do you think Zack Snyder was picked on as a kid? Yeah. You think so? Uh, probably, yeah. You never know. Um, and it's just... Uh, and of course it's worth noting that like and again i might be projecting something onto the film that isn't there because i do think there's a lot of dumb there and i think it's i think it originates with frank miller mm-hmm. and i think it goes mostly unexamined by zack snyder cuz right. you can you can stick to that story and those characters and even those lines and still kind of give it like hey we know and the the, the yeah fact, you could you could like the fact that uh, you know Leonidas is going against uh, Xerxes uh-huh. played uh, by Rodrigo Santoro who you would never know that was him yeah. right yeah I know him as Paulo <laughs> and so um, but like and Xerxes is very uh, slender and effeminate and I think even like. Like ma- wears makeup, ma- wears makeup, makes it in jewelry, and like yeah, makes yeah. a pass at Leonidas. Like he is kind of the, if you'll pardon me, sort of the the metrosexual of the era, and very feminine. It's like eh, probably a little gay, and just like, right. and the idea it's just like it's like ah, l- let's let's kill this horrible gay man. This or or not even just straight up gay, just like just this unmasculine yeah. thing let's kill that and then like failing to recognize the the irony of just hanging out with scantily clad men all the time um and just like there there there's humor to be found in there and that the film is free of irony and i would yeah. venture to say the comic book is too but you never know uh all right we'll, we'll move on i it, this is almost making me want to watch 300 me again too. me but too then i'm reminding myself of how incredibly painful it is to watch i still contend that it is high in the running for worst movie produced in my lifetime but uh but and you are giving me things to think about here and and i don't know if i can sit through it again there is the visual element um and you and i have talked uh, you remember we we did an episode about visionaries and i believe it was we were inspired by when someone said the zach snyder the visionary director the uh, driving on um uh, 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 Olive in Burbank, you pass those huge billboards for whatever like upcoming movies and TV shows Warner Brothers yeah. has, and that it was in 2009, or I guess like starting in late 2008 because it came out in March of 09. Uh, 
the big one for Watchmen that said, from the visionary director of yeah. 300. And then when Sucker Punch came out, from the visionary director of 300 and Watchmen. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, now you've just compounded the dumb. Uh, because here's the thing. He did make a visual choice to do everything he could to translate the visuals of the comic of 300 onto the big screen with as much of it intact as possible. And that's and so good for him. That is a choice he is making, but that is not a visionary choice. I agree. And I also think that, I mean, you say that the, you, you mentioned the visuals as possibly like a um, an enticement, but I think it gets old pretty quickly because there's a you know it's a different format comic books and 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 movies uh and there's uh the the look now obviously there's things he does with the speed ramping and everything that i like um but the the look is not uh as conducive to the kineticism and the fourth dimensionality mm-hmm. of movies you know uh that's what the things i do like visually have to do with movement i like the speed yeah. ramping there's uh also a really cool shot when Leonidas throws a spear at Xerxes, I yeah. think. And instead of following the spear, he follows the shadow of the spear, which yeah. is on the the steps. So the spear is going in a straight line, but the shadow keeps getting broken as it moves up these steps towards yeah. Xerxes. It's a really cool shot. Yeah. It's probably my favorite shot in the movie, actually. It's the one I always think of. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Watchmen, All which right. is something... Um, who, had, wa- who watches it? That's what I want to know. Uh, I did um, a week after it opened. Mm-hmm. I saw it on uh, March thirteenth, two thousand nine, at the uh, Vista Theater. Um, there was a guy behind me who brought his little kid. Oh. Uh, not guy like this wasn't guy like. Um, oh, I mistakenly thought this was a kids movie because it like has people in tights and and it yeah. has a smiley face on it. This was a Watchmen fan who was talking to his kid we're talking about like an eight-year-old kid talking to his kid about like well before the movie started he was like so here's the deal here's the characters and like <sighs> it was very uh you know it's not for me to judge i'm never gonna have kids um that kid's probably you know the kid was probably gonna get fucked up anyway yeah yeah no question about it wait by so, virtue of what just being a human being a human being he's got like fair, a, he's got like fair a enough 10 percent chance of being a decent person <laughs> I don't even know any decent people. That's hey, not true. I know one or two. I do okay. No, I'm talking about myself. Oh, all right. I don't... Yeah, I'm not decent. Um, so, uh, I, I, no, I had read... It was 2009. I had read the comic, uh, the novel in 01 or 02. It was our first apartment uh, in Chicago when I when I bought that. Um, and I, I, had, uh, I had loved it. Um, it was really like weird because I'm not like a comic book guy. I've I've read some stuff, but I came to Watchmen by virtue of seeing the movie From Hell, mm-hmm. not loving it, but hearing that the book was good, reading the book From Hell, which I have since reread and is amazing, mm-hmm. and then seeing what else did this guy do? That's why I found out who Alan Moore was. That's why I bought Watchmen. Um, so I was uh again not like the lifelong comics guy but I was at this point a um nearly decade long fan of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. So I was I was excited for the movie. I was not excited that the guy who made 300 made it cuz I didn't like 300. Right. Um but I was excited uh for the movie. Um I was okay with the fact that he kept it in the 1980s um at the time. I think now that I saw uh, see the um 
the result, I questioned that choice. Because uh, when Paul Greengrass was going to do it, his idea was to update it. Hmm. Um, anyway, uh, almost immediately, I realized this was not going to be the movie I wanted. Yeah. Sure, there's the opening title sequence. Yeah, which but, is one of the, if you'll pardon me, one of the only like original things in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's great. I love it. Yes. Um, now, I'm trying to remember, does the opening scene between um, the the comedian and... Um, What's his name? Ozymandias. Ozymandias. Is that before the opening titles or the opening titles just come on right away? It's been a while since I've watched it. I think it comes on right away, but I I haven't seen it in a while, admittedly. Well, as soon as the fight began between Ozymandias and the comedian, I was like, I was like ready to throw up my hands. I was like, I've got two and a half more hours of this. This is immediately, I feel uh, betrayed as a, like, I I feel that nerd rage betrayal of uh, this, this thing is he's not doing it right. Yeah. Um, because the problem is that the whole thing about Watchmen, and I know this has been said ad nauseum for over four years now, since, yeah, the movie's over four years old now. Um, but the thing about Watchmen is that it's, it really is what you were talking about with Kick Ass. It really is what if these existed in a real world? Yeah. Everything about Watchmen is real. You know, there's, some obviously there's uh Dr. Manhattan has has powers and um there's some sciencey stuff that Ozymandias or well, I can't remember what his real the the real guy's name is I'm Adrian ba- Adrian Vite. Adrian Vite. I'm bad with character names in uh, every movie I've ever seen. Um uh who did Orson Welles play in Citizen Kane? What's the character's name? <laughs> um I was just trying to think of any movie where the name of the movie was the yeah. character. Uh uh, yes, Tom Cruise and Jack Reacher would have been a funny one too. Um, anyway, uh, so there's some there's some heightened stuff, but it really is the real world of the time that eighty five eighty six that it was written and released. Um, and then as soon as the characters start fighting like they're the characters from three hundred, mm-hmm. it it breaks that. Yeah, you lose so much of the stakes when Ozymandias can throw the comedian. Not into like the island in his kitchen, the counter island, right. but like through it. Yeah, that his body somehow the comedian's body is made of something other than flesh and bone. Yeah, and can break through <coughs> this the the counter, and he's still alive. Yeah, it's such a dumb choice to me to be so slavish in so many other ways. And then change that thing that is the heart of what Watchmen is. Yeah. It's it's supposed to be what if there are superheroes in the real world. And yes, they are in peak physical condition. Like, and, and you know, there's a scene where... Well, not uh, the Night Owl. But you mean in their heyday. In their heyday, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so, okay, I'll grant you that. So, there's a scene where the comedian is thrown through a window uh-huh. to his death. Um, and it's like, okay, to pick up a grown man and throw him, like, that's hard. Uh-huh. Not impossible, though. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you are in peak physical condition, which Ozymandias is in yes, that he sequence. has remained so. Yes. Yeah. And so, so it's like, okay. And the idea of these people just being, you know, of, of Rorschach being a, like a good fighter, but just a crazy, dirty, probably smelly man uh-huh. who is also, he's only 
in as good a condition as his diet and his lifestyle will allow him to be. And mm-hmm. so he can kill criminals pretty easily, but he like he's no match for for Ozymandias and like yeah. you know and and uh Night Owl has let himself go and just like and it's supposed to exist in our reality. Like their costumes are supposed to look, I think they're supposed to look a little silly. Uh-huh. But by making, for example, uh, Night Owl and, and Ozymandias, like by doing that kind of that vinyl thing of like the Batman movies, yeah, yeah, um, it's just like ah, no cloth tights. Yeah, it's supposed to look like that. And and here's the thing: it's not, it's not like that's what it was in the comic book. So it's but it, that's not the argument I'm making. The argument I'm making is like. It's supposed to take place in this reality, and in this reality, anybody that will dress would dress like that would look a little silly. And, and I, I'll, I want to add something to say. Um, the I interrupted you, and now I can't like find the words. But uh, the the story of the comic book doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to be the story of the movie. Right. He could change things to where they have these kind of costumes sure. as long as he changes enough about the world to make it make yeah. sense. But and the I, problem is he's still telling the same story from the comic book, right. but making choices that just don't make sense. And yeah. that's why I keep saying that I don't want to assume that he's um, not an intelligent or intellectual man, but like there, he, he just, he makes some choices that I don't get. And that's the thing. The costumes, for example, they fit the visual style that he is, created in the film but that is but that style is the style of your your average superhero movie not a superhero movie that is that is supposed to take place in reality and so if he wanted to i would agree it's not the latter but i i um because i don't want to turn this into nothing but making fun of uh i keep saying that because i like a lot of the style of of watchmen i think it is more i do too i think it is um visually and visually richer and more colorful uh and colorful in a way that makes sense um than your average superhero movie mm-hmm. uh, i think this is why i wanted to talk about Zack snyder because i have such a like mental ambivalence or, or this sort of dichotomy like he makes a lot of choices that i really like yeah and then he makes choices in each, each of his films that seem completely inexplicable to me and i can't even and he's a yeah he's a weird filmmaker in that when he makes a choice that i like it's not the right choice i still like the choice in a vacuum but in the context it doesn't work for me and when he makes a wrong like a choice that i think is bad like sometimes there's something within that that i'm like ah i still can't discount it because there's still this you know, and so that's the thing. I like the visual style of Watchmen if he wasn't telling Watchmen. I see. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's. I see what you're saying. It's hard to I, explain. I don't fully agree. I think he could tell a story with with, with those with those with that palette um, and that kind of design. But um, there's a lot. There's actually a lot about Watchmen that I like the way I've to use a sort of a baseball metaphor, the way I've described it before is that, um, it's, it's like he hit a beautiful line drive, except it went foul from the moment it left the bat. Okay. Like it's a really strong straight hit. Yeah. He really connected. It's just that it, it was foul. 
immediately. Okay. That, that's how I that's how I think of, of yeah. the movie. And so basically what you're saying is like he just he stepped wrong immediately, was heading down the wrong path, and even if he's making let's let, I'll try this. Like let's say you're you're heading down the wrong you're heading down the wrong path but you're making great time. <laughs> and just like good for good for you, you know, freaking Rorschach, I think almost everything about that character is done right in that film. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't change his look, they didn't change the nature of him. He was cast wonderfully and just the way they dealt with him, I think was spot on. Mm-hmm. Um and but at the same time, he's still devoted to this to creating this world that this that I that I think is not supported by the story, or mm-hmm. maybe the story is not supported by the world. Um, I don't know. I don't know which one falls under the weight of the other, but I don't know. It's uh, that's the thing. But there's still enough in there that I do like. I I I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan is great as the comedian. As time has gone on, I find myself more and more fascinated by that character, and the story itself itself still has power. And so, like, yeah. it's still a very watchable movie just by virtue of, I mean, because he is committed to, <coughs> excuse me, he was committed to telling that story as close to the comic as possible. Mm-hmm. And while I think maybe structurally that doesn't make for the most satisfying film, I think it might make a better miniseries. I'm not the first person to say that. And that's how the, that's how the story was told initially yeah. in 12 yeah. issues, yeah. And so, like, so that might not make it structurally the most satisfying to me. But it's still a good story with interesting characters, and it would take a lot to ruin that if he's committed to translating that as much as possible. And so it's not a film that I that I hate. You know, I, I don't know if I hate any of his movies. I don't think I even hate Three Hundred. Uh, I might. Yeah, I don't. Um, no, I don't think I hate that that movie. But like, but Watchmen is a movie that I actually I feel like I could watch it again, and maybe I should. And and revisit some things because I I think back on it not fondly, but I remember the things I like about it more than the things that I don't. And incidentally, because of the job that I had, I was able to watch the director's cut first. And there's a sequence in there. I don't think I've ever seen the director's cut. Well, there's there's not a lot that was cut out, but in uh, in the original comic book, the the first Night Owl. Stephen McCaddy. Right? Stephen McCaddy, yes. He's great in the movie. He is. And he's but he's not given as much in the theatrical cut as in the director's cut. And in the comic, the original Night Owl, his uh his uh house is attacked by the not tops, I believe, um, and they kill him. Mm-hmm. And the uh the sequence in the comic, it's really just a page and it cuts back and forth where the this older man who's very much you know he's out of shape and all mm-hmm. that he's you know punching these guys and it'll go back and forth and there'll be flashes of him in his heyday mm-hmm. and there's a little frame of black and white of him punching a thug and then there, then it cuts to him an old man and he's punching a thug that sequence is not in the theatrical film it is in the director's cut and it's great and it includes the parallel yes editing That's and really and his cool. musical choice is great I believe it's from Raging Bull and hmm. uh it's I love that. I was heartbroken when it wasn't in the theatrical cut. And so there are so that's the thing is like there are th- like him choosing it got cut eventually but him choosing to expound on that and really play into it with a character that is minor at best. Um like that's a good choice that he made and it's a, a fairly original one. Um and so it's uh 
It's a it's a film. I think I would like to revisit the director's cut, and then I think That's there's a pretty like, long movie. Yeah, I think there's like the ultimate cut, which actually incorporates aspects from Tales of the Black Freighter, the animated film that I have over there. Right. Yeah. And just like I would almost like to see that. I know how crazy would that be? Yeah. Because that's one thing, if you've only ever seen the movie, um, that you're missing out on is that it's also sort of each, the chapters sort of, do they begin and end? I can't remember. Um, but it's cut with a a kid reading a comic book about pirates. And yeah. The story of the pirates goes throughout the the, the series. Yeah. It's and it was made really into, cool. and so one of the uh, straight to DVD things that they released for Watchmen was an animated version of that comic book. Which is actually pretty good, and I believe the uh, the narration for it is done by uh, Gerard Butler. Ah, um, all right. Let's move on to Legend of the Guardians: The Isles of Gahul, which, which you I didn't, didn't see. You didn't see. Um, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it happened. <laughs> I really I haven't looked into like the history of this production or why Zack Snyder directed this animated um, kids action uh, epic thing about owls um now where are those owls from david um well the 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 main owls that we're not that we're talking about okay are not from uh gahul oh really the guardians are from gahul oh i see but um the the guardians are sort of long retired gahul is a long way away okay if i'm remembering this i i saw it uh maybe in did I see it at the? It came out in 2010. I think I probably saw it in late 2010. Yeah, so it's been two and a half years. Um, uh, so I might be misremembering this, but uh, it's the. I I don't. I, I'm not sure how much. <laughs> okay, a lot of sentence fragments here, David. What's such as <laughs> the nature of Legends of the Guardian? Because it's so hard to explain. Because it's the movie's so complicated. It has such a mythology to it about like the history of the these guardians who were once heroes and then things are uh, they they defeated the bad uh, owls and everything has a dumb name I can't remember what it all is but everything's like Gahul so the bad owls probably have a dumb name too Um, where they defeated them and so they've retired and the legend the guardians are living you know I think on Gahul in this island and living out there twilight years in peace and then this like kid owl or a couple of like kid owls mm-hmm. like the our i guess our hero and his younger brother uh get kidnapped it turns out the evil owls are uh rebuilding their forces um is it all owls it's all owls <sighs> I, I didn't know that did either. you think there were people in it i thought there might be but it's an all owl kingdom it's cars but owls <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, they are their own blacksmiths, as we see. We see them forging armor and weapons using their claws That's to hammer totally out metal. <laughs> that makes no sense. Um, we also see there's a thing owls do, as you might have learned. They, you know, they eat mice and stuff, and then they process the meat, and then the hair and bones of the mice simply turn into little balls in their stomach called pellets, and then they vomit those up. This is a real thing that owls do. Okay. This happens in the movie multiple times. It's a plot point. And so it's the little... How is it treated tonally? It's treated like it's cute. Because it's the cute... (laughs) It is the cute little kid owl who, like, is, like, right at the the top of the movie where he's, like, ooh, 
and like pukes this thing up and then like his like grandma owl is like oh your first pellet and, like it's really weird what okay i want to see another movie about these poor mice because you know what they're all all the hells are evil to them yeah yeah um so it's got the backstory it's got the current story about um you know the 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 evil owls rebuilding their army it's got obviously the hero's journey about this kid who has idolized the guardians but at this point to kids at this point they're like storybook heroes you know mm-hmm. this has happened way before their time uh and he needs to find it the inner guardian in himself it also as we all do it also here's what it gets a little more convoluted because <laughs> the the way that the evil owls are building their army is by this thing where if you make an owl stare at the full moon for too long it becomes hypnotized i think they have a name for it, like blinkered or something like that um and so they're like hypnotizing these owls so like our hero owls like cute little brother gets hypnotized um so it's it's just all all these levels of like weird weird story and then it has and i don't know what Zack snyder had to do with the story i'm not sure Uh, i should look up if he had a hand in the screenplay i don't think he did um but where Zack snyder comes in is that again still animated still all owls but full of the kind of speed ramping thing we're talking about in the fight scenes you know i was like swinging at each other and it's suddenly in slow motion and there's a feather flying and uh <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty insane um uh no okay he didn't write it uh i i don't know what else to say about it except that it um uh it's in keeping with uh d- discounting Dawn of the Dead, which um, we we have said is hard hard to fit into his filmography as an auteur, mm-hmm. uh, as much as we like the movie. Uh, but Legend of the Guardians does fit into his idea of warriors. That's something that clearly appeals to him. Yeah, um, the, the people becoming sort of almost superhuman through devotion to a cause and the willingness to fight and die for it that seems to be uh a big thing would Um, you say that the film is mostly successful in it because a film that weird like part of me is like how do you even judge it like how does one like is it a bad movie is it a good movie like well there's stuff that's i've gotten no sense of it so far there's i i I mentioned the um blacksmithing (laughs) okay uh what i didn't mention is and this is maybe the biggest misstep of the movie uh and it makes it multiple times because it's very like sort of dour and serious movie, but then sometimes it's like a fun family kids movie at the same time. Okay, and that and the wor- so it goes back and forth with that, and that's definitely problematic. Okay, uh, the worst example is the montage of the owls learning to be blacksmiths, set to this poppy acoustic guitar number, the the chorus of which goes like this: <laughs> It goes, and you take to the sky. <laughs> And you take <laughs> it's it's been two and a half years that I remember I remember how that chorus goes and you take to the sky <laughs> um, so this uh, movie is the new ravenous yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be but it is um it's a pretty nutso movie okay uh 
it has like a, like I said, I would generally call it bad because it has those um, tonal missteps, and it also uh, it becomes the the action much like I feel like three hundred does. It just kind of becomes noise by the end, okay? You know, because it's uh, as much as I've said that I uh, like the idea or that I, I generally like the speed ramping thing. When it gets done too much, it stops. It stops being an immersive experience, uh, you know. And also, and I, I say this having not seen the film, and I don't, I'm not saying this to like be funny or anything, but like also, owls all kind of look alike, and so like, <laughs> I, I have to assume after a while, it's just kind of hard to keep yeah, track I'm tra- of what's I'm happening. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I had that problem. Okay, because they have, um, because they're they wear armor. The warrior owls. Do. So, so I've heard. Yeah. So I think. They have like dis- like each one has their own distinctive armor. And okay, that, like, all right, so, so that, that helps. helps. Yeah, but um, well, I mean, what doesn't help is the um the comedy because it's like just corny kids comedy. Yeah, uh, and um, all, all those spelled with K's. I was uh, I was just thinking <laughs> that's three K's. <laughs> um, and uh, outside of Dawn of the Dead, he hasn't really been good at making movies that have any laughs in them man at least sucker punch doesn't even try does it no there's one we'll take we'll get to that in a minute or do you want to move on i think i think we can move on but i did want to mention that this it does seem like he has this interest in in warriors and Mm um uh uh whatever that means to him if it's about um confidence perhaps uh finding confidence in in, in yourself or if oh that's absolutely it's, uh, something he's fascinated in based on the mostly incomprehensible narration of sucker punch specifically at the end yeah that's right that's right okay so it, finding the confidence, idea, but it's yeah. also finding your place in a group and yeah. and like so it's not i feel like he's not uh, we're, we're getting into his magnum opus here with uh with sucker punch He's not an individualist, I don't think. He seems to find that the best way for people to become their full and best selves mm-hmm. is to join the ranks of something. Yes. To, while to belong. Also, while also knowing their specific and unique role within right, right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Most I don't know if three hundred is entirely that. No, I think it's quite of, the opposite. I think yeah. it's quite fascist. Um, and, and so, do you think? Uh, do you think there's any fascism to Sucker Punch? <laughs> um, I mean, going as far as our heroes. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think you're you're probably right. Yeah. I'd need to watch it again. I mean, I, I think it has... What was no, I, I, this one, I, I will watch Sucker Punch again way before I'll ever watch 300 again. Okay, all right, fair enough. I think I think we got a double feature here. I think this... Cause, <laughs> I think it would make a good double feature, yeah. uh, again, thematically. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm not looking forward to, watch, to watching 300 yeah. <laughs> again. By the way, I don't know if you heard just today, the 300 sequel got pushed back. Uh, oh, that's right. It was supposed to come out this summer. Yeah, and they pushed it to next March, which is the time of year that Three Hundred came out. So it mm. kind of makes sense. Yeah, but he's not directing. Uh, I, yeah, I know, but it, but it. I mean, from what I've heard and, and like just the occasional still that I've seen, I mean, it looks like their visual style is. Just, yeah, it looks like it's on the same universe. Yeah. which it, I mean, it does take place in the same universe. But, yeah, uh, and it has a female warrior. The like 
uh, I don't know if she's like a the leader of the Navy or something. No. I don't know. But uh, well, like you said, Zack Snyder's not involved. That's a joke. <laughs> he's very he's very in favor of female empowerment. I guess as he defines it. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, I, I, his his idea of femininity is certainly like. Uh, yeah, let's all get together and be badass warriors in cute outfits. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, at least he's an equal opportunity dumb uh, dumb because yeah. he did the same with 300. Well, okay, so I've seen... So I saw Sucker Punch two days ago, and thankfully I watched it with someone. I watched it with uh, Josh Long, my co-host for More Than One Lesson. Uh, don't expect an episode about that anytime soon. Did you ask Jenny if she wanted to watch it? Uh, no. Do you think she not. would ever want to watch it? No. Yeah. I No, I don't think she... Because she hated Watchmen. She really didn't like oh. it. Oh. Um, and so, if I were to say... If she said, like, what... I think she'd just say, what, what is that? What is with Sucker Punch? I was like, we're doing a profile on Zack Snyder. He directed it. He did Watchmen. She's like, oh, all right. I remember when, um, when the movie was out, just driving around with uh, my girlfriend um, and just heard, like, seeing the billboards and being like, that looks like the worst thing in the world. Sucker Punch. And I, because I always, as much as I, like, play the uh, pessimist um, uh, on the podcast sometimes, I always want a movie to be good. Well, and you and, and so, I for years said, like, we couldn't wait for when he made a movie that he, that he wrote. Yes. That started with him. We always said that. And then he did. Yeah. And here we are. And I, I know uh, I got... Uh, you know, we get some complaints in the comments that I tell the same story or say the same thing too often. Yeah, but at the same time, fuck those people. That's exactly my point of view. Because um, I don't know if you know about this time that I went to see uh, The Woman in Black. No, that's not the story <laughs> I'm going to tell. Although, if you think I'm never going to tell that story again, you are wrong. I'm going to find a reason to tell it again. Even if that little... guy doesn't listen anymore. <laughs> anyway, that's not the point. I was a little harsh. I didn't mean, like, here's the thing. If you if you've listened long enough to hear our stories over again, then thank you for your loyalty. No, but, but if at the you same complain time, like, about it, like we we don't we we do this a lot. Like yeah. we can't remember everything we've said. Yeah, but so. and sometimes I know I've told the story before, but I know the guest hasn't heard it, or right. I know it's fitting for the uh, yeah, topic. It, sometimes it bears repeating. So the thing and that, that I, story bears repeating. The thing that I said though about, um, and I've said since about about um, Sucker Punch is. I remember when I was hearing about it because we, it was from his uh, from the mind of of Zack Snyder, um, visionary director of Watchmen and Three Hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I knew I, I felt like this, given his track record, has about a ninety percent chance of being terrible, and a ten percent chance of being a masterpiece, and I feel like it's both. Yeah. Oh, it's his masterpiece. There's no <laughs> question about it. Yeah. It's. Uh... It's a film that I just, I had such an odd response to it, and I was glad that I had somebody to talk about it with right after uh-huh. I saw it, somebody that I, who has similar sensibilities uh, to me, because I think he succeeded in doing what he wanted to do, um, and I think... I think it is definitely in his mind, and, and maybe actually it is a tale of female empowerment, and I think the skimpy outfits are part of it because it's worth noting. And 
Sucker Punch, when did Sucker Punch come out? 2011. 20, okay, all right. So it's two years old now, so yeah. I'm, I'm okay with talking about some of the, not necessarily spoilers, but There's some not of the, much you can yeah, spoil but some of like the, the Some of the conceits. Um, a lot of the crazy-ass action sequences, which I'll get to specifically in a moment, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> those are fantasy, within a fantasy, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah there, this, is like a, this is like Inception, this movie. Yeah, it is a woman in a, a young woman in a mental institution mm-hmm. um, who fantasizes, fantasizes that, that she's, she's in a brothel yeah and then that character i guess fantasizes that she's this warrior yeah and so but basically what she does is she is it's a brothel but it's also there's a there's a theatrical aspect to it so she'll like dance for yeah, it's old timey like, yeah uh, burlesque there you go now we're talking um and so so the idea is there she wants to break out of this brothel with these other with these other women and uh but they need to collect these items in true video game fashion they mm-hmm. need to collect these items first and so each getting each item requires a, a you know a oceans 11 type plan mm-hmm. and part of it is part of it is a distraction and sh- her dancing which is apparently so great that it will almost it will entrance the men uh-huh. that like it will distract them enough that they can that the other girls that she's with they can get the item whether it be a knife or a lighter or keys or a map whatever and so when she starts to dance, the camera zooms in on her face, zooms out, fantasy sequence, now it's time to fight these robot samurai, not robot samurai things, but whatever, samurais of light. Um, the, or these, the giant samurai. The giant samurai that are, I'll get to this in a second, but like, um, or they have to fight the, the zombie Germans, not Nazis, not World Nazis. War One, Not Nazis. Come on, people. I've, we're not I, I, we're not ridiculous. Yes, here. I, I hate when people have. I've this read not, people referring to those. Uh, I was going to say characters, but that's not the right word. That's yeah. those things as Nazi zombies, <laughs> and they are not Nazis. Yeah. They're thinking they, of dead snow, right? These but, are, uh, this is that's the Hun. It is sure is. is zombie Huns. That's what they are. Nobody says Hun enough. <laughs> I mean, unless like in the South, but that's a different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next time we never mind. Okay, so. Uh, so the idea is when she dances, when she is using her skimpy outfits and her body, something that other people would say, you know, men and women, uh, past and present would say she's debasing herself Mm -hmm. and that she's devaluing herself that in actuality it is kind of an empowerment thing. Like this is how I do battle with my enemies. And mm-hmm. these men are my enemies. They are my captors. And this is how I'm going to get myself free. And so for a while I found myself wondering like, why didn't they show the dance? If she's such a good damn dancer, I would like to have seen it. But isn't that the and thing I, like and, you, you never want to hear like, uh, you know, the, Oh, there's in the movie where they say like, Oh, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. And then you actually hear it. And it's terrible. Well, this may sound a little strange, but frankly, if she did a dance like freaking Channing Tatum and Magic Mike, you know what? Mission accomplished. Because that's some pretty amazing dancing. And so, but but thematically, I realized why I was okay with it. Why why the film might have done it, which is it's not about the the dance. The dance is inconsequential to her. Mm-hmm. What the dance represents, which is the which is battle. Um, that is what we see because that is what it is for her. The dance, the specifics of the but dance don't matter. I think now, I'll play devil's advocate here. <coughs> please do. A little bit. Um, <laughs> because I think uh, 
where where it does kind of fall apart a little bit is that the way you're describing it is that um, these women represent women in society who have had drawn such a short straw uh, as women mm-hmm. um, that they've been put in a place where the only tool, the only weapon they have left mm-hmm. is what they were born with. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's Zack Snyder's point of view, even though the story around it might bear that out. Mm-hmm. I think his real point of view is like the men in 300, the best they can be is to to use their body to 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 fight while wearing the skippy outfits and and to be in uh i guess perfect shape like that's that's the that's the end that's the end all be all and i think that's the way that he presents it and that's why i have a problem that's why it seems like that's why it seems like it is his masterpiece we've seen inside his head and his opinions um uh, and his feelings about about gender are um you know maybe well-intentioned but not very deep oddly enough i actually go the other way i think don't get me wrong i don't think they're very deep but um i think uh i think the idea i apologize everybody i i I have this uh nagging cough that uh, keeps finding its way onto my podcast so i'm sorry about that (laughs) but um the like you're talking about like this is the best they can be and one could say again not I don't think I agree, but as far as what I think he might be saying is you are at your best when everything is stripped away from you because you might think that you are out of options, but you are in fact not. It is at that point that you find who you really are. You find it in yourself and maybe in the process you are finding your best self. And that, yeah, I'm sorry I, to be, I, I, I'm sorry I, to be all uh, Tony Robbins about no, it. No, I do kind of like that because that fits in with his whole sort of militaristic vibe and oh, this yeah. idea of, um, you know, I guess samurais are like that too or or the night's watch in games game of thrones where you have to mm-hmm. they you know you have to give up everything and devote yourself to a cause which and goes what, back to what i was and what's that line from jfk where it's like i don't i certainly won't remember it specifically but donald ich bin ein Berliner. that's the one that's the one we'll get you next time <laughs> but um no donald sutherland says it where he says like if you want to see the potential of, of a country like it, it lies in its preparation for war and that sort of thing. And just it's, I'm really paraphrasing, but it's something like that. Like there, there is where you will find the potential of a country. And so, so I think that, I think there probably is something male or female. I think he said, I think he finds like war and conflict, like just tears people down to the point where they don't have anything else except Mm -hmm. maybe each other and guns and themselves and guns or what the hell ever (laughs) and uh and so that is when they're at their best and it's a very it is i agree with you it's a very primal idea but i think it actually winds up being i think uh gender at that point becomes neutral i think it's a a human thing he's talking about i don't think i I don't think i think he is still separating the genders i I don't uh, and that's where i uh, another place that i disagree with him because i don't think he thinks that one is better than the other right but i think he does see this see a dividing line Uh, yeah i think he thinks of it as separate but equal which we know is impossible oh yeah from sorry from from broad versus the board of education (laughs) yeah from real life human history sorry i was really uh, locked into like (laughs) things he might be saying within his film um yeah and i think i think he does see that they are not separate 
but equal, but different, but equal that like the men in 300 have brute force and they are straightforward Mm -hmm. because they can afford to be. Whereas the women in, in uh, sucker punch, they have to be not necessarily sneaky, but they have to use something else because they, they cannot hope to overpower these large men. But then in their, you know, in yeah. their dream life, they are fighting. Yeah, yeah, giant samurai. And so, and, uh, I also so their like, subterfuge is the equivalent of the force of Leonidas. Uh, I also like the fact that the only, the only good man in the movie, Scott Glenn, mm-hmm. is uh, older. Like it's almost like a like in his mind again. We I feel like we should put just a blanket disclaimer of like we don't agree with Zack Snyder, no. but like it's almost this idea of like passing the baton, like women coming into their own in a society that has long kept them down and here's a representative of the older patriarchal generation stepping aside and helping Mm -hmm. but not he's not like the um uh i mean he's sort of in their fantasy thing he gives them their assignments Mm -hmm. you know but he's not uh i'm trying to think of an example he's not the general he's not telling them what to do Uh, you know he he sort of aids them yeah, and the frustrating thing is that at the end, where he is the bus driver at that point, and whisks our yeah whisks our main character away. It's like at that point, it's like, well, thank God for men, huh? <laughs> like, or thank God for this man. Um, also, and here's okay. So what I've been saying so far, I think speaks well of the film in that we okay. can have this type of discussion about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we yeah. don't even necessarily have to agree. I'm gonna. I'm going to move forward. Okay. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about it. Okay. <laughs> First off, <clears throat> the, the damnedest thing about those action sequences, one, I think they're pretty good. That samurai one I liked a lot. I, my favorite one is the the uh, German zombie one because I love, I just think the fact that they're, they're not really zombies because not reanimated by some sort of... Uh, Magic or something. They're right. reanim- they're they steam and steam. They're yeah. they're like steampunk dead things. Yeah. And so because of that, there's the conceit that when they get shot, instead of like blood coming out of them, steam shoots out of them. Yeah. It's a really cool visual. And well, a really cool idea. And it's worth noting. Okay, so two points. The first one is that like the frustrating thing is like when you know that these sequences are in fact fantasy. The it does kind of the stakes kind of disappear. Um, now you do know that they are representative of something that is high stakes, but then of course you also know that's a fantasy sequence. And so after a certain point, it's just like I I don't know if any of this means anything. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. so that's one thing. The other thing, and I think this is worth noting, given what we've been talking about um, regarding gender, is in those fantasy sequences the characters again character not characters the, the things that uh, that our heroes fight against they are they're never men they are like men mm-hmm. but they are never men the samurai are filled with light you cut mm-hmm. them light spills out not blood the uh, the zombie you know, you know the steampunk german zombie uh-huh. soldiers Luftwaffe. Um, they, uh, well, that would just be the ones in the air. <laughs> yeah. Luftwaffe. They're there. They're up there yeah, with, their, with their Zeppelins. Um, 
you know, you kill, you shoot them, steam comes out. Mm-hmm. And, th- and they look like men, but they're actually not. Dragon part, there are orc-like things. Again, not men. Okay. On the train, robots look like men, not men. Yeah. They're never actually fighting against human men, in those, even in fantasy sequences. I don't know what that means, but it's worth noting, I think. What do you think? I don't know what that means either. I hadn't thought about about that, um, but that is interesting. I no, I, I can't think of anything right now. Sorry. Yeah, I'm still I'm still kind of working on it. But I remember that dragon one being the least my least favorite of the. Yeah, partially because just like you know, I know that you need the weird crystals in the in the baby dragon's throat uh, to make your fire, but like, like, good for Zack Snyder for allowing us a moment where the mom dragon is upset that her. Uh, that her baby's had his throat slit, but, uh, <laughs> but part of me is, and this is, this is just like the weird stuff I bring to it. Part of me is like, you get him, dragon. They killed your kid. <laughs> like, um, now did you watch the director's cut of this one as well? No, I didn't. I have not seen the director's <laughs> cut. Apparently, um, the director's cut has more John Hamm. Oh, okay. Who, who is barely in the yeah. movie. And he's an important he's, part. And he's not a bad guy either, by the way. Like he's doing his job and his job is, in many ways, perfectly fine. He performs the lobotomies. He doesn't do it maliciously. And in fact... Yeah, he... but I still make, think that that makes him a bad guy since... Uh, I'm forgetting. The, the characters have, like, weird names. What's her name? Uh, she's Baby Doll. Okay. And there's Rocket. Like, because, and there's... But because Baby Doll is... Okay. Spoilers for Sucker Punch. Um, because we know that she shouldn't be in this institution, mm-hmm. the fact that he's lobotomizing her yeah. is... Makes him a bad guy. And incidentally, how does he lobotomize her? He takes this long, narrow, phallic thing right, and right. drives it into her head. Yeah, that's um, true. Which I don't know if that's how lobotomies are performed. I would venture to say you know no. I don't know how lobotomies are performed, so maybe My, it is. I don't know. I mean, really, I mean, that looked nothing like the scar from Planet of the Apes, so I have to assume that is not how they are done. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but the other thing that bothered okay. me, and maybe it's been so long since you've seen it, there, there seem to be, from a from a from an artistic standpoint and from a structural standpoint, and you know he's going to tell whatever story he wants to tell, and that's fine. Go ahead. I think he got a couple characters mixed up because there's Rocket and Sweet Pea. They are sisters. Rocket is played by Jenna Malone. Sweet Pea is played by Abby Cornish. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think I like so. Abby I think that's her. I think anyway. Her. So Rocket is the younger sister who's like a runaway uh, and then Sweet Pea is the older sister who like protects her and all that. Right, yes. Um, and then Sweet Pea is always the one like she doesn't want to go with this along with this plan because they're going to get hurt. And then she... Spoilers. Al- spoilers, sorry. What? Uh, I thought you were going to say a thing that's a spoiler. Oh, I will. Okay, so spoilers keep yeah, going. Spoilers yeah. from here on for Sucker Punch. Um, but, uh, <laughs> excuse me. But you're uh, getting at a big one. Yeah. Okay. And so... So Sweet Pea doesn't want to do any of this, and then but she keeps going along begrudgingly. And then finally, there's a moment where um, the cook, the big disgusting blob-like cook, yeah, yeah. Uh, is bringing a knife down to kill Sweet Pea. Rocket jumps in the way, gets stabbed, uh-huh. and then and it's like, oh, this is very sad, you know. And then um, and then these other two uh, women get killed. And so then it basically comes down to uh, baby doll. Who's basically our, our main character and sweet pea. And then 
Baby Doll sacrifices herself so that Sweet Bee can get out yeah. and and go back to her parents and tell them that their that Rocket loves them. And she's like, "Okay. Rocket was the runaway and is thus in need of redemption to a certain extent because she at least in her own eyes because she she need she like she regrets leaving her family and regrets drawing out her sister uh to protect her and get it and get, having gotten her sister in this situation. And so really from a character standpoint, from an arc standpoint, it's like sweet pea should have sacrificed herself, like should have sacrificed herself for rocket. And then rocket gets but no, free. Isn't, isn't rockets redemption. Um, uh, sacrificing herself for yeah, sweet pea. Yeah. I guess so. And then that fits in with my idea of that, of that, uh, you come into yourself when you devote yourself to a larger group or idea or plan in Zack Snyder's movies. But I also feel like if it were the other way around and Sweepy sacrificed herself for Rocket at that point, like it completes and affirms who Sweepy always was. And then, it, and then that final sacrifice um, is the, is the final boost that Rocket, get it, uh-huh, boost, uh-huh. Um, that she finally needs to be like, and now she is returning home uh-huh. and saying, you know, and like, she's I finally... I see it both ways. Yeah, it can I go... See it both ways. But I feel like, it just seemed like, this is an odd turn of events, and maybe good for him for turning it out on its head, but at the same time, it's like, it's not that he bucked convention, he did that as well, but it's also like, yeah, but this way I think would have been more satisfying to see the youngest and most vulnerable one get away and then return home. But anyway, so, but also, uh, the one thing that I did want to talk about, I I really enjoy Oscar Isaac in the film. I think he does a good job. He's Uh, like the orderly, the orderly of the, one of the orderlies of the mental hospital, but then like the, the, the owner of the club. That's right. Uh, the yeah. owner of the of the brothel and uh, yeah, slash, and I, he, slash burlesque yeah. club, I guess. Yeah, and he does he does a very good job. But um, but I did want to go back to like, man, it is, and this this will lead us into Man of Steel, which I I haven't seen, and neither of you, it hasn't come out yet. But like, um, I saw the trailer for it when I saw Iron Man three. I thought an ex- I saw an extended trailer. Okay. It looks pretty good. It looks like it's keeping certainly keeping his visual well, style. Yeah, I feel like he's the kind of director who can you can make a good trailer out of his stuff pretty easily. Absolutely, that Watchmen trailer, great. I love that. Oh yeah, with, the with that, Smashing, Smashing Pumpkins, Pumpkins song? the um, the beginning the, is the end is the beginning. Yeah, I always forget which of those it is because the more upbeat one is the end is the beginning is the end, and that was the single from the Batman and Robin soundtrack. Right. This one was also on the Batman and Robin soundtrack, but it's the okay. the down down downbeat yeah down tempo. And, yeah, which is a great song and well used in the trailer. But anyway, so um, but the one thing is that uh, for me, a lot of the problem with Batman—I'm sorry—with Superman Returns, uh, directed by Brian Singer, is just how just how self-serious it was. Like there was Christ analogy everywhere. And yes, I know I'm a Christian, but even I get tired of it uh, <laughs> in certain movies. Um, you go back to that Richard Donner Superman, and it's serious, and there are serious things happening, but it's, there's still such a sense of fun. It's a lot of fun, yeah. Um, And it's like, it's like you even had Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor and you were not, you're not having any fun? Uh Really? Um, Like Brandon Routh gets to do some kind of goofy stuff as Clark Kent, but not much. And this, and this one, it looks good, but man, it certainly, it looks just as serious, if not more serious 
than Superman Returns. And that goes to what I was going to say, which is like, Zack Snyder, he was a nice guy when I met him, and he seems to have a sense of fun, but boy, he is a, his films are largely humorless. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's true? Yeah, with the exception of Dawn of the Dead, and again... Yeah, that's James that's Gunn. That's James Gunn. No question yeah. about it. And it's just... And that's... I feel bad I don't want to end on that note, because he is still... He is a... He's an auteur all the way. He's a... I think a fascinating visual filmmaker who ha- who is interested in some very primal things and uh, certainly mm-hmm. interested in the idea of warriors and the 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 nature of heroism and like how we are connected with other people, but how we are still ourselves and that. And it's yeah. just, uh, I don't know. His... I, I haven't seen the full trailer. I did see a teaser a while back um, that had, it ended with a shot of Superman flying sort of straight up into the sky. Yeah. And then like, he's already flying. And then he like, I, I guess hits the nitrous switch and yeah. suddenly starts flying even faster and harder and that feels very very Zack Snyder and the, the, you know this these ideas we're talking about, about be more yeah physically yeah that that's yeah you that you should strive to be more to get more perfect than perfect physically more human than human one could say <laughs> one could say that <laughs> if you were uh what Rydell from uh Blade Runner that's where that comes from right the Rydell Corporation, that's their I think motto. so, but I believe it was also a White Zombie song. Well, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that Rob Zombie got that from Blade Runner. You know, I don't think so. I think, <laughs> you know what? Parallel thinking. That's my theory. 14 years <laughs> in between the two. Yeah. But uh, anyway. All right. So this is fun. Um, are you going to go see Super, uh, Man, Man of Steel? I think I might wait for reviews. Okay. If, it, if it gets like a B- minus or above, kind of on average... And depending on what people say about it, it does. I'll say this: it's got Michael Shannon as General Zod. Sure, sure. that looks pretty good. And certain aspects of the trailer. Yeah, it's got a cat. I because I, I don't pay attention to uh, movie news that much anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that like Russell Crowe is in it, and Amy Adams is in it, yeah. and like and who, Kevin Kevin Costner plays Kevin like Costner his, and D- Diane Lane. And then who's yeah. the uh, the editor at the? Oh, it's also someone. It's somebody, but now I don't remember who it is. I saw a still. Yeah, anyway. but like, yeah, and and actually, it looks like, like if it's going to go just straight up, like really sad and very tragic and all that kind of thing. Um, there's a there's a scene in the in the trailer between uh, Clark Kent and his earthly father that actually looks like really good and really like explores this idea. Like having not seen, does the, Kevin Costner say? Do you want to have a catch? <laughs> I think we should end on that. All right. Uh, you can find us at battleshippretension.com or email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at The Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcasts are previously on, which I put a new episode up this week. And hey, watch this. With Paul and David. That's my weekly TV show with Paul Goebel. This week's episode, we will be discussing The Mindy Project and Glee. That's it. Oh, uh, I will say that uh, on More Than One Lesson, the the latest episode is up. And it uh, in it, Josh and I talk about 
The Queen of Versailles. Oh. And uh, with the companion film Ordinary People. So I'm very... Uh, I I like that episode. I'm very proud of it. And then uh, we're doing our mini-sodes as well in which we're going through our, our uh, 10 favorite movies of all time, going back and forth. And so um, a couple days after this episode airs, um, we will be talking about The Last Laugh, F.W. Murnau's The Last Laugh, my eighth favorite movie of all time. Check that out. So. Um, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 